Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and rocking with us. I'm playing a man down. My co-host, Gigi Broadway, is not in the building this week. She will be back very, very soon. And I'm playing a little hurt, just to be honest with you. I'm a little bit under the weather, but we have a fantastic episode for you. I sat down one-on-one and did an interview with my friend, former editor of Style Weekly, Jason Roop. Jason has the cover story in this week's style titled, The Kids Are Still Waiting. It's all about RPS's facility plans and how they're going about building new schools, how they're going about maintenance. It is a really, really compelling read, and I wanted to go through that article with Jason, so we do that. It's a fantastic interview. You're going to want to check that out. And also on this episode, I'm so excited about it. Uh, One of the just biggest books of 2018 is called Contact High. It is authored by Vicky Toback. And what it is, it's the history of hip hop through my favorite medium, photography. So Vicky has taken her about three years or so to talk to all the legendary hip hop photographers, get all of these iconic shots. And she made one of the most beautiful books uh, ever, honestly. And we sit down with Vicky. Vicky actually calls in. She's our featured interview. And she talks us through Contact High. She talks us through some of the iconic photographers that she grew up with and dealt with and some of the iconic photos. So it is just an amazing, amazing episode. It's jam-packed. I'll try my best to provide just a tad bit of a life update. There's so much going on as we get to the end of the year. We get to holiday season. But up first, as always, ladies and gentlemen, Dipset. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Thank you so much for rocking with us. As I mentioned before, I'm playing a man down. Gigi Broadway is not here, but she will be back. First and foremost, just to give you a really, really big uh, shout out from the bottom of our collective hearts over here at the Cheats Movement. Anyone that made it out to the Institute of Contemporary Art, I believe it was two Sundays ago now, or maybe even more, three Sundays ago now, for our live podcast with uh, Tressie McMillan Cottom, Amber J. Phillips, Jamel Bowie. It was our big post-midterm elections podcast. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much for following the video on Instagram or Facebook. It means so much to us to be able to put that show on at the ICA. So it was great. If you like it, if you like this show, please do us a huge favor and go to iTunes and subscribe to it and even leave a comment. Rate the show. We really, really appreciate all of that. So that is the, you know, if we ever made an ask of you, we ask you to subscribe to the show and rate the show. And you can also follow us on all our social media platforms. And that'd be great. Uh, as I mentioned, we're about to go into a really big show with Jason Rupin, and Vicky Toback. Uh, before I do that, I'll just give you a quick little life update. There's not much, uh, not much to report in that end, but you know we're doing at, at, at the Casa de Cheatham at our house. We're doing a lot of uh, kind of home renovation stuff. Uh, my wife has gotten really excited about. We've got new carpet. We've ordered new bedroom stuff. We've been waiting for, I want to say several weeks now on our new bedroom suit so we're kind of living on a on a mattress in the floor but it's it's exciting uh we did get the christmas tree up we had a wonderful thanksgiving any of you that know me and know our family um so all the well wishes that we got over thanksgiving we really appreciate that we got a really we had a really great thanksgiving we're kind of doing this home maintenance thing uh it's not a nightmare just yet i think a couple more weeks without kind of furniture and a bed it will be a nightmare but we're still working on it so any advice you can give me uh on how to best uh, do our home renovations please let me know but uh, excited about that and then a couple of you sent uh sent the show sent me sent Gigi uh a couple of podcast applications some really cool stuff google's doing some cool stuff with podcasters of color uh, Monument Lab, you know, we're really big into the 
you know, the monuments here on the show and a couple of me, you guys sent me uh, the Monument Lab Project. I'll just have you know, because you took the time to send those applications and those that information to us, uh, we did. So we applied to both uh, the Google program, uh, I think it's the Google uh, Podcasters of Color program, and we also applied to the Monument Lab program. We don't know it's going to work. You know, you never know how these things work out. But you guys had faith in us to send us the information, so we wanted to uh, apply and see how that stuff goes. So, with that said, that's the that's the life update. Thanks, so, <laughs> thanks so much for all the support. Uh, and we're gonna jump right into this conversation with Style Weekly former editor of Style Weekly, Jason Root, talking about RPS. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I have a very special guest right now with me. Former editor of Style Weekly, my good friend Jason Roop. Jason, how are you doing? It's good. To, it's good to see you, man. And you have the cover story. You've had a couple of cover stories since you've left Style. <laughs> you've had a couple of. You have a couple of cover stories. The one that I want to talk about is the cover story that's out this week. It is all about Richmond Public Schools. It is a little bit of a deep dive in regards to the school board. It, the, the city council, the mayor, but it's really the interesting part about it that really stood out to me is your understanding of, of the facilities and the maintenance and the school upkeep. Tell us a little bit about how the article on RPS came together and how long you kind of worked on it to get where you are. Well, this topic probably isn't new to anybody that listens to your show. It's about the crumbling school buildings that children are sent to every day around Richmond. Dozens of ailing schools. And, you know, for, for somebody who worked at Style for many years, this is something we've covered a long time. The last time um, we had a really big story about the facilities was in 2014. And that was an eye-opener for a lot of people. We went into the schools. We took tours of what it was really like. There was the mold, there were the rats, there were the ceiling tiles that were falling down, the black tar water that was dropping onto desks. And um, what came of that was a, a facilities plan that the school board went into. So it's been about five years now. And I have seen you know the discussions take place since we have new leadership. We saw the meals tax happen earlier this year to raise money for schools. And I really said about, I start with a very simple question. <laughs> and that was, uh, is there a plan to fix Richmond Public Schools? Very simple. Very simple. You would think Very on simple. the surface, but this is Richmond. <laughs> you would think. What happens when you start asking people, you know, and I, I just simply started having interviews, asking questions, and you get uh, flustered answers, you get conflicting pieces of information, you get a lot of finger pointing, um, and a lot of people who really aren't sure really where things stand. And so I, I, went, I would say I worked for at least at least four weeks going to meetings and asking questions. On, like so that. four weeks on this particular oh, conversation? Yeah. I mean, not 40 hours a week sure. on this one no, thing, but just talking back and forth to different people, to school board members, to city council members, to people that aren't even in the story, um, to uh, uh, interview the superintendent. Um, and, and, I mean, I tried my best to explain where things stand. So let's start there. In your mind, you did four weeks of research. You have a great article here. But basically, tell us, tell the audience, where do you think things stand with the facilities of RPS? Yeah. Well, right now, um, as of this moment, there is no full facilities plan. And by that, I mean a plan that would address every school in Richmond. So let's say you're a parent and you have a child at, uh, you know, let's say Carver, because I talked about Carver a little bit in the story. If you said, hey, when are you guys getting around to working on my school? There's nobody that could definitively tell you that answer. Now, they could tell you there's a plan they've looked looked at, and that plan eh, has some things in there for 2028, <laughs> which is 10 years from now. Sure. Um, but the school board has not voted on a full plan. What we have is a five-year plan, or, or the five years, a first phase of a plan that addresses some schools, about 15% of all the schools in Richmond. And that plan is not fully funded. Um, we also have, uh, you might have heard, we talked about the meals tax. Uh, we raised $150 million in bonds from that meals tax. Right. And we're using that to, to build some new schools. Uh, not as many as we originally thought. Um, it's hard to find out what we'll use all that money for. Uh, so, and that's something to just be frank. That's something you've questioned 
since pretty much the beginning of the proposal of the mills tax, right? Well, I, you know, when we, I think a lot of people asked at the time, okay, we realize that you need money. What's that money going to be used for? Um, and this is one of the big issues in the story. People say, you know, the superintendent and some city, some school board members will tell you, listen, the plan is not the issue. It's that we need more money. So forget about the plan. Help us get more money. Then you talk to city council members and others that might say, well, we get that. But the political reality is, wouldn't it help you to be able to share the full vision with everybody as you do ask for that money? Sure. So you talked, Ian, you talked about where we are without a plan is basically so at the end of the research and the end of the article the challenge is we don't really have a plan and we don't have enough money to fund a plan that we don't have one of the things that you brought up that really stood out to me was the impact that political changeover has on all of the on all of rps especially when you talk about facilities go into a little bit about that but the changing of the school board the superintendent the council and the mayor all impacts why we feel like there's probably less action, right? Exactly. Uh, that's built into the system here. You have we're all we're all people that come in. They come into a political office with certain things that they ran on. Um, they have certain beliefs. They talk to constituents, and so you have this changeover that really prevents uh, people from following up on the work done by previous uh, folks. So, as an example, um, the plan I mentioned that the previous school board put together. It was put together with many, um, many hours of community meetings, with uh, public hearings, with uh, studies. They probably um, spent a year and a half on that plan. They all voted on it unanimously. And then by about that time, it was election day for the next group of folks. <laughs> so they, that plan, uh, because of some infighting there, again, disagreements with city council, school board, and the mayor's office, um, and also the mayor at the time, Dwight Jones, had also built schools that he wanted to build. Um, they didn't have the money to put that plan into action or even get it started. So they, they set it there. They put that plan there. They said, here it is. It's, it's data-based. Here you go. Public's already met about this. But the new, we had an entirely new school board, except for Jeff Bourne. Entirely new school board, come on. An entirely new mayor. <laughs> and that plan did not necessarily jive with what the new school board members wanted to do. Sure. And then Jeff was out. Then but, Jeff was yep. out, new guy. And then, oh, guess what? The current school board also didn't like the superintendent that was in power. Sure. So he's out too. So now the superintendent, now they have the interim superintendent who's also now no longer with the schools. They get a new, uh, they pass their facilities plan with uh, some changes and then they bring in a new superintendent. So all of this churn, all this turnover, um, we're left with a plan. Uh, we, we have like a million dollars of plans sitting on shelves and nothing is really in force right now. And you're starting basically with all that turnover, you're basically starting from day one. Right, people start over because yeah. let's say the last plan dealt with consolidation. That's a hot issue. The mayor is fine with consolidating schools. He said that. I think the superintendent might be, but he has to kind of report to the school board. Um, but the school board majority doesn't want to close any more schools. So you have a plan that conflicted with what they wanted and maybe what some parents wanted too. But um, consolidation is a big issue now. And then you get to city council. City council says the plan that you presented us, it's it's just we can't fund it all. You're going to have to do some more work on it. School board says, sorry, that's our plan. And that's where we are today. One other thing, two other things before I get chatted, I do want to ask, because there was one thing that really was glaring in the, uh, in the article in regards to school board members not fully knowing if they were voting on a full plan versus part of a plan. So correct my memory if I'm wrong. The school board chair, uh, Don Page, said, oh, we voted on a plan. And then in the article, I think it's quoted, maybe Scott Barlow or someone was like, no, we voted for phase one of a five-year This plan. has been, again, I go back to the very basic question. This has been a very a, a point of contention uh, since I was working on this story. Uh, there is a different perspective on what was what they actually agreed to and voted on in a public meeting. And you can watch the video from the meeting and make your own <laughs> conclusions about it. To me, they were asked to vote on a five-year first phase of a plan, and they put that phase into their budget and presented that to the mayor. Um, 
so yeah, I think it just depends who you ask. I, mean, right. I, I have no clear answer for you on that. That's so, so you've done you've done the research. You've written the article. The school board is the school board, and quite a few people are confused. Right? Still These are the people day. who voted on it. And remember, you also get into things like at that meeting, one person had had the plan for four days to look at. Right. Uh, one person, it was their first night on the board. Somebody wasn't there, so you end up having uh, five people that passed. Uh, this plan, and I, you know, before I go, I do want to mention something positive. Okay. This, no, no yeah. I do. I got, okay. but I got one got more question, one more and it may actually be, uh, so we can end on the positive. Okay. Note, this one is is confusing to me. So, with all of this that you figured out, even just on school facilities, where are we? Did, did we miss the boat on the education compact? Like, isn't the education compact supposed to be the thing that puts the school board with the city council, with the superintendent and the mayor? Is that still a thing? Is that still happening? That is still a thing, and that's what they thats what they will tell you over and over, that there's unprecedented uh, collaboration. They all meet together. Um, and all I can tell you is that this story is being written after those compact meetings. Have, many have been held. So uh, I don't know if this will now be a kind of a wake-up call for people to come back to the table and say, what, what do we do to actually uh, take action? And I know a lot of people are, are working to get more money. Sure. Um, but you'll have these same questions come up. Even if we get more money, the same questions will come up from people. How much more do we need? What's the money going to be used for? And uh, how are you using it? Okay, so if you're just joining us, you are listening to Jason Roop, who is got the cover story in Style Weekly all about RPS and the facilities that we're building. It's a fantastic article. Make sure you check it out, Style Weekly. Jason promised he's going to end on a positive note, and we should, because there are things that are going well. You tell me what's a positive note, what's going yeah. well. I mean, yeah, this stuff could bring you down. <laughs> I think I think one of the things that people need to remember, um, and th it's throughout the city, I talked to, you know, I focused a little bit on Carver in my story, but it's happening at schools all over, is that the community is really helping. You know, forget the public officials right now, the people who have been elected, uh, you have community members who are doing uh, great work in the schools, whether it's volunteers, whether it's nonprofits donating musical instruments, whether it's Carver Promise. Um, there were examples of people who came in and fixed a railing that had been down for two years. There were benches that had been donated to schools. People come in and paint Hamilton Glass. Muralist is in Carver. So, you know, there are, uh, the community is behind schools. They're in support of them. Um, they want to see them succeed. We're going to have to leave it there. We've got so many more questions. We could do this for a lot longer because there is this whole thing about uh, other city activities versus RPS and if indeed RPS is being used as a, as a scapegoat or a shield for either approving or denying certain other city projects. We'll get into that another mm -hmm. time. Absolutely. Jason, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Please read the article in Style Weekly. What's the cover? What's, what's the title of the article? Oh, the cover is uh, The Kids Are Still Waiting and it's on stands and it's at styleweekly.com. We'll leave it there. Jason, thanks for your time. We will be back on the Cheats Movement on WRIR right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement. I'm not going to waste any time. We've got an amazing featured interview brought to you by 804 RVA. Vicki Toback is the author of Contact High. It's just an amazing project. It's a really great featured interview, and we're going to jump right into it. So with no further ado, Vicki Toback. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. This featured interview is brought to you by 804 RVA. I am so excited. We have the author co slash composer of one of, the, one of my favorite books of 2018. I was just, a little side note, I was just at the Kennedy Center a few weeks ago where... I got to see firsthand Vicki Tobeck. Vicki Tobeck is the author of Contact High, A Visual History of Hip Hop. And for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to go into a really quick one-page identification of what the project is. Contact High, A Visual History of Hip Hop is an inside look at the world of hip hop photographers told through their most intimate diaries, their contact sheets. Featuring rare outtakes from over a hundred photo shoots alongside interviews and essays from industry legends, this gorgeous book takes readers on a chronological journey from old school to alternative hip hop and from analog to digital photography. 
the ultimate companion for music and photography enthusiasts, Contact High is a definitive history of hip-hop's early days, celebrating the artists who shaped the iconic album covers, t-shirts, and posters beloved by rap and hip-hop fans today. It is an honor and a pleasure to have Vicki Tobek on the line. Vicki, how are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you for having me on. First and foremost, congratulations. This book is gorgeous. It is so well done. It is, the stories are amazing. It's forwarded by Questlove. I mean, you have really done it all in this book, and it is just a great honor. I just saw that it was named uh, to several lists of 2018. I just saw the undefeated.com, one of my favorite websites, listed it as a must book read, must read book of 2018. So congratulations on the success. So glad to have you. Let me just ask you, a project like this, it's finally out. How, how are you feeling about the whole thing? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, anytime you sort of get this creative project out into the world after working so long on it, it's a, it's a great feeling and also a weird feeling, you know, because then it becomes, it becomes sort of bigger than yourself. You know, it kind of starts to belong to the culture at large. Um, and people start seeing it and so it's it's been amazing it's been amazing it's been um, you know the reception to it has been really great you know the photographers uh, really love it which was you know my priority but yeah like fans love it historians photographers like it's it's been it's been really good so let's start a little bit from the beginning okay and correct me if I'm wrong because I remember seeing I want to say a website and a series long before I saw the book. How did the concept of pulling together this visual history of hip hop come together for you? And how did you really put the process in motion? Yeah, so, you know, when, when a lot of people are like, how long did it take you to do the book? And my, the, you know, the answer, the first short answer is, you know, about three years from when I started researching it as a book to it, you know, actually being a physical book. Um, but, you know, really the whole project and my relationship with a lot of the photographers goes back to the early 90s. Um, I actually started out working in the music business. My first job when I was um, 18 was working with uh, Gangstar, working for um, their management company, which was Empire Management. And then we also had a record label called Payday Records that had a lot of, you know, the great, you know, golden era, Gangstar Foundation, J.R.U., Group Home. Um, we had, you know, Most Def's first group. We had Jay-Z for a singles deal. Like, a lot of that real foundational East Coast stuff. Um, and I started working with the groups and met a lot of the photographers back then, you know, that are that ended up in the book, but I met them as sort of um, an advocate for the artist, you know, and and um, got to hear sort of firsthand on how the artist wanted to be portrayed and the ideas that they had for their visuals. Um, and then, you know, I started writing um, for a lot of the small like hip hop magazines that were being birthed at that time um, and then started working with a lot of the photographers like I'd be the writer they would be the photographer we'd go out on stories together um, so you know so really this book has been a long time in the making um, you know more recently I, I, I worked as a producer at um, CNN and then CBS and you know really got to see how they treated their archives and started to think about these images that have now defined you know hip-hop over these years and thought how you know hip-hop now has an archive too that has contact sheets and um you know it's just dispersed among different photographers i wanted to bring it all under one roof in one book and correct me if i'm wrong because one of the things that we look at in the book is the images and we are fascinated i was i know i was fascinated at the kennedy center from the stories of the photographers about these iconic shots and how they got them. One thing that's fascinating that I want to ask you about that I don't know is the collection stories. These are these photographers are characters. I mean, I could I could tell you firsthand just by listening to them for an evening. Those photographers are characters. 
what were some of the tasks or, or challenges you had to do in just getting collections? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I knew a lot of the photographers and with them, you know, we already had this great trust and they were like, oh, okay, what, you want to see my contact tooth? Like, I don't really show those to anyone. Why? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> what, are you, what are you getting at? <laughs> and, right. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, and, and other photographers, I had to, you know, really build that trust from scratch. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to share their outtakes and their contact station or you know really like their mistakes or they're like you know things that they were trying that didn't always work um so it took it took some convincing you know and it took a lot of like trust building and there was a lot of like well who else is doing it you know who else has sure. you got like sure. you know i'll do it if so and so does it you know so there's like a lot of a lot of that um who would you say? But, okay, so I'll I'll give you the easy one. I won't give you the hard one to say who's the hardest to to get stuff from. Let's start with when when you thought of the idea. Did a photographer or two photographers or three off the, off the top of your head come to mind? Who were they and and what uh, you know what was some of the images that you were like, oh man, I can't, I, I gotta have this image in there to do this book. Mm, yeah. So I mean, the two photographers that I thought of right away were Jeanette Beckman, just because she has so many classic shots. Um, and she's just also a really cool uh, person and really, you know, has this like, great, great story as a photographer. So I, I automatically thought of her and then I automatically thought of the Baron Claiborne in the, the Biggie and the Crown photo. Um, you know, that is sort of like the Mona Lisa of, of hip hop, you know, and like that, that photo, I was like, that has to be in the book. Um, so those are the first two that I thought of, but, you know, as, like, as, as, as things progressed, um, you know, Glenn Friedman is another photographer that I was like, we have to have the public enemy photos in here, we have to have the beasties, you know, he had the, like, iconic shots of both, um, but he was super hesitant, you know, and I, I, you know, he, he doesn't mind me talking sure. no, about no, it, but... Yeah. But he was someone like, you know, it took a lot of convincing of Glenn because he's very protective of his archive and he's really selective with who he works with um, on all levels, you know, because he just really holds his work in high regard, which I really respect, actually. Um, so um, it just it took a lot. It, you know, we had to pull in like a mutual friend. Like it was, sure. it, was it was uh, it took it took a lot of convincing, but we we got there finally. Tell me about because you're right. Yeah, if I if I've been reading your history right, you moved from Detroit to New York City when you were 19, and you've mm -hmm. basically lived this culture since then. What are some of the in the process of forming the book? What are some of the images that really bought back just memories from you? I, uh, just I, you mentioned Jeanette, and it was some of her stories were so compelling, and some of the other people were like, "Oh yeah, I was there." Like, when you started looking at images, I know it, it brought back memories from the photographers. Was there anything that you were like, oh, man, I was there, or I just remember this, and it just brought back stuff you hadn't thought about in years? Yeah, I mean, all, you know, the Gangstar Hard to Earn stuff, the um, the Jazzmatazz shoot wow. that's in the book. You know, I, I was working with Gangstar when they were working on, when both, Guru was working on Jazzmatazz, they were working on Hard to Earn, and... Um, so, you know, there was there was a contact sheet that actually didn't make the book. It was um, from Mark Humphrey, who photographed the Jazzmatazz cover, and it was um, them at the studio, at D&D Studios, which was like their go-to, you know, studio for Gangstar, where they recorded a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I saw that contact sheet, and that really brought back, because it had my, you know, it had my old boss, Patrick Moxie, on it, and <laughs> um, Neil, and... And, you know, just and also just being in these spaces like, you know, that were really sort of private, like, you know, spaces that at the time, like, I didn't really realize just what a privilege it was to be, you know, be in those spaces. I mean, like recording studios are like a really intimate space, you know, when you're when artists are creating. Um, 
And so, yeah, that really brought some stuff back. And then, you know, there's a shoot in the book. Um, George DuBose did the Master Ace and Bismarcky, the Biz doll. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Cover. And that, you know, that doll and I have some history because <laughs> <laughs> do, after. Do you yeah. <laughs> so the, the, you know, that, that, um, right before I had started working for um, Empire, they had managed Master Ace, or they were, they had some kind of, you know, they had, they were working on some project together, but it was a little bit before my time. So by the time I started working there, that photo shoot had just happened, and that doll was like in the office, like wrapped up in a garbage bag. You know, it looked like a, like a dead body, like <laughs> over in the corner of our office on the Lower East Side. And like, when we like, when we took him out of the bag, like a lot of the guy, you know, the guys that would like come in the office, there was a lot of like, you know, like guys from the crew would come and they would like kind of beat up the doll and like throw him around and just kind of like play fight. And one day, um, Dap from Group Home, uh, like severed his neck a little bit of that Ooh. doll. A little bit, and it's made of foam. And so, you know, I was the only woman that worked in the office. I guess my like motherly instincts kicked in, and I said, I was like, listen, you guys are gonna like ruin this doll. And I asked my boss, Patrick, if I could take him home, the doll. And he said, yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> he's like, I don't care, fine. Like, <laughs> we were moving offices, so he's like, the less stuff we need to move, the better. So I ended up taking that doll um, home. Um, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit, and I'll fill in any blanks if you need me to. But fast, fast forward. I was part of also Ego Trip magazine um, as part of the you know the crew that like was starting that, sure. and I brought the doll to the Ego Trip office from my apartment, and it sort of became like the office mascot, um, and kind of ended up you know, in the hands of Ego Trip long term. Um, and so, you know, to this day, like, I know where it is, you know, <laughs> Jeff, Je like Jeff Mao, who, you know, worked with me at Ego Trip, awesome dude, like he has the biz. Um, and hopefully in the next couple of years, it'll end up in, you know, some kind of collection or archive. Or I was going to say, like there's that. so many hip hop archives now, and it's got to be in one of them, send it to Harvard or somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's 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 some uh, there's some rumblings of, of that happening, but you know, I always joke that like I want my doll back, and you know, like kid, kidding, not kidding. No. no, look, hey, it's yours. You right? Well, it's really you right. know, it's really Patrick Moxie's, but I don't know that Patrick wants it back. <laughs> you mentioned a, a a point that I think is so critical to any project like this. I mean, we're in a day and age now where there is a lot of we're starting to see a lot of definitive uh, hip hop pieces, especially people that have lived through not necessarily the early early days of hip hop, but like that those ninety years. And they're starting to write books and they're starting to talk about you'd mentioned the studio or a photo shoot or something like that being such an intimate place. Uh, I, I wonder, looking back on it now and creating uh, contact high, was it something that you kind of realized at the time or was it just like this is, you know, this is what I do. I'm just with my with my people. We're just in the studio. This is how life is. Or did you did you guys kind of recognize like, hey, this is going to be important one day? No, I mean, I I just you know I was just talking about this with with Lisa Leone, one of the photographers from the book, who you know she's like, I always think about all the photos that I didn't take. Right. She's like I I have all these amazing photos, but she's like, I could have taken so many more, um, and. Me too. And, you know, part of it is like you're young. You don't really, you don't really think really uh, that, you know, that what, what is happening is such a, I think nowadays now, because, you know, people are so hyper aware of like legacies sure. and, you know, everything is like legendary before it's even, you know, out for a week. <laughs> right. and, you know, Everything's so important now. Everybody has a cell phone important. and everything's important. Now. Right. Like everyone is building a, you know, generational wealth like everyone is like <laughs> it's such a thing but no back then it was like you know it was just what we did and we were all really young and we were all um 
you know, we were all kind of getting in where we could too. It wasn't, it was, it was hard. You know, a lot of us were, were like, you know, and when I say us, like, I mean like the writers and the photographers and like the up and coming rappers, like people were struggling, you know, for, to like (laughs) pay, pay, to pay their rent. Because a lot of, a lot of the photographers were like, these weren't like paid gigs, you know, and we weren't getting paid to write for a lot of these indie magazines. Like we were just doing everything out of love. So we really were just trying to like, get in where we could and you know like yeah I think we were just so busy just trying stuff that no one really had this like bigger you know idea on it maybe you know I bet like I bet Fab Five Freddy would say that he, he he's like did. I saw he's, this coming the whole time oh, I saw well, this coming no, to the Lower East Side and, and, he, and he probably did you know he's such an like he's such an oracle of knowledge and he I, you know someone like like Fab may have like seen it from this like bird's eye view at the time but like I certainly didn't I was too young and having too much fun and you know I think every everyone else was too you are listening to the cheats movement on WRIR we'll take this quick moment to tell you to go to iTunes and subscribe and rate to the show we'll take the five stars please give us the five stars all right back to Vicky Tobin Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is Cheats with the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We are joined by Vicki Toback, the author and creator of Contact High, a visual history of hip-hop. Vicki, before the break, you had mentioned the insanely talented, legendary at this point, Lisa Leone. I, uh, <laughs> I have a really weird and funny story, very similar to... Uh, basically the way that you and I uh, got connected to talk uh, on this interview, I had started my blog, a hip-hop blog, in Richmond, Virginia, middle of nowhere in in regards to hip-hop world, basically, in 2011. I want to say in 2012, I was like, I reached out to a bunch of uh, creatives, photographers and filmmakers to do a series of interviews. And no one gave me any, like, no one responded whatsoever. Except, <laughs> it was crazy. Except for, and this was, like, 2012, except for Lisa Leone. Lisa Leone was like, I'll do, I'll do your interview, sure. So she had she, no clue who I am. Uh, I, she, she will, and, and we haven't talked since, but she will be forever uh, one of my favorites of all time, not just for her talent, but the fact that she was willing to be like, sure, I'll do your interview. We probably talked on the phone for 40 at that point it wasn't even a podcast it was a written interview and she was fantastic so she's insanely talented and a downright nice person (laughs) yeah she i mean she is so on the humble and she is like the same person that i met you know when we were both like in our early 20s is the same person (laughs) that she was when i did a talk with her yesterday at soho house in miami like she's one of the coolest just humble um you know, often like the most successful people are the most humble. Like it's the, that's crazy. You know, so yeah, she's she's great. She's great people, and she has the funniest stories. Well, <laughs> well, let me ask you about this because one of the stories she told in the book was hilarious. Even just reading the words about the the first time, I, I guess it was one of the first times she shot she shot Snoop. And there was basically like a shootout and cops and her and Fat Five Freddy are running, trying to avoid like, you know, damage. And she has the presence of mind to take out her camera. It's, and and that is just an amazing story. And she had some amazing uh, photos, I want to say, of Snoop's first album in the book. Yeah. Yep. Well, it was so it was it was, it was a video shoot for his first album, the Who Am I? And um and you know like for the people who've seen that video, a lot of it was shot on the roof of VIP Records sure. in Long Beach, which you know is is a very like famous spot where a lot of like Long Beach artists, like including Snoop, was that was like you know their their spot. Um and so she's like you know the first day we kind of photographed there and then they were supposed to shoot in a park like right after that like a nearby park and as soon as they got there she's like you know some shit started to go down (laughs) um and basically like before we could even get set up like the video crew or the photo crew like 
everyone was jumping in their cars, like speeding away, you know, like there was something happening. And she was like, you know, I was such a Bronx girl. And for me, I was, you know, we always thought it was like New York as being really like tough. And she's like, I wasn't used to like what LA tough was. Right. Just, like, it's a whole the, different the, way. The, it's it's just totally different, yeah. Because you know she she tells the story about how she was like, I was like, you have backyards, like I don't know what you're so mad about. You have backyards, <laughs> like, but but uh, but so that didn't happen. So the next day, where um, they went to like a sound stage where they actually you know got a lot of really beautiful shots and where they did most of the video, you know, Snoop said to her. Um, he's like, yeah, he's like, I remember you from yesterday. He's like, you were driving Fab away from, you know, what was happening. And he's like, yeah, you, you cut me and shook off. <laughs> and, and, and she was like, you know, she just started laughing, like, cut you off. I was trying to get the hell out of there. Like, right. I wasn't like, you know, and she was just like, you know, it was so interesting because, you know, that like how they noted like who was in what car in what spot in what grouping like she's like it was just a whole different like the way you know east coast really you know you might observe like who's down with who based on like what neighborhood or that like she was like he really processed that whole like shootout moment from like who was in what car and like in what like you know it was almost like like he like watched it choreograph in sure. a way and just like it, it like imprinted on him so she was like that was just a really interesting moment but um but yeah you know in those in those photos like he he was really shy you know even though you know he had this like great like swagger to him from the start but the photos that lisa took of him look really um tender you know and she like she tells the story she's like she actually um was with Snoop not too long ago and she showed him a photo from that shoot and um, Snoop was like, wow, he's like, I look so open. He's like, how'd you get me to, how'd you get me to be so open? You know, and, and like he, she said that a lot of his friends were around and they started like cracking on him. They're like, wait, be so open. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, kind of like, but he was like, no, for real. He's like, look, I'm just like, I'm really, um, I don't know. It was just, you know, for him to like see that photo when he was just starting out and um, to kind of see what photos can do and what photographers can do. Like they can really get to who you are as a person. Um, you know, sure. for an artist who um, is, you know, trying to get across who he is as, as a person as well, and also, but also kind of playing a role at different parts in his career is like, I think, you know, that was like a, a magic moment when when they kind of saw that that magic that we all see when we see photos. And, and to be frank, there are several of those. And one of the and that's one of the things that's so compelling about Contact High. There are several of those. You mentioned the Snoop picture. You previously mentioned uh, the Baron Biggie shoot. And one of the things that stood out, just looking at the contact sheets, is the final product, that iconic Biggie with the crown, is not necessarily the makeup of the entire shoot, right? So you saw all of these different kind of, you know, personas of Big in those contact sheets. So you have yeah, all of and these. The, and and the one of him smiling is the persona that everyone who actually knew him, like knew him, knew him, were like, that's the big that we knew. You know, not this sort of like stern, you know, poker face that's on the cover of rap pages. Um, even though, you know, that's a really powerful shot and he's looking so directly into you as a person when you look at it, you know. Um, but but yeah this you know the one where he's like cracking up and kind of like you know his lazy eyes like looking at you from you know the side and it's um it just shows the the kind of the 360 of of a person um it humanizes them and that's what you know the contact sheets really do is um they kind of show all the complexity of the person complexity of like the whole story of 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 what hip-hop was and is and let me ask you about this because there's one thing to get the you know have the relationship with the photographers get the photos get the contact sheets 
one of the things that you know is so compelling about the project is the actual words. Now I know you're a writer, had an editorial background, but how did you go about the process of, you know, being able to? Because they're very for the for for readers that haven't seen the book yet, they're very condensed, they're very to the point, they're very telling and compelling, but the words are so much. You you know you get I think a sense of the project from looking at the photos. But when you get those words directly from the photographer, you get a whole nother angle of the project that I think takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and I think that that surprised a lot of people, I think, about the book because, you know, it is a photography book. It's a coffee table photography book. So I think people, when they hear that, they expect that they're going to just see photos. Um, but it's also, you know, it's very much a, a reading book, too, a book that you sit down and you read. Um, and I interviewed, you know, each photographer one by one um, over the course of many years. Um, you know, I had a lot, we, you know, we actually, we ended, we, we went back and forth with my editor um, on, you know, how much how long should the interviews be, you know, in full honesty, I actually had written maybe like two or three X what is actually in the book. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. Because, yeah, yeah well, because I just, I fell in love with the stories and I couldn't, I really, it was hard for me to let, let them go, you know, like, uh, you know, so, so that, I guess that's what a good editor does, you know, is they edit, they edit their writers <laughs> and I think it, I think it ended up being just the right amount. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, also like, you know, hip hop, the story of hip hop has been told in so many different ways now. Like, I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, so many people are writing books about that time, whether they're memoirs or analysis of, you know, lyrics or fashion or that. So there's, there's a lot of scholarship happening around hip hop, and that's a good thing. Um, and this was sort of one element of the story that I thought wasn't um, just wasn't you know wasn't being told which is the, the people who documented it from the start and why in their stories um, so I kind of wanted it to be additive in that way of like you know just not retelling the same story that the way it has been told already so you've been around some amazing storytellers uh, and you've been you know interviewing them and being on panels with them as soon as, after the book has been released and doing projects do you have a favorite? Who's, who's your favorite hip-hop storyteller? Oh, hip-hop storyteller. I thought you were going to ask me which is my favorite photo. No, like, no, no. I, would, I wouldn't no. do that. That's like, that's like thank selecting you. children. Thank you. Okay, yes. Thank, <laughs> I, would, thank, I wouldn't do that at all. But, I'm like, God bless you. No, no. But the, but, but um, the storytelling, who, who could you sit? It, but, but let me phrase it this way. Who can you sit and listen to them tell stories forever? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It so varies because some, yeah, some photographers truly, you're like, okay, I understand why you're a photographer because you're so, <laughs> you know, it's, you have to like pull, really pull it out of them. But like, you know, Lisa Leon is an incredible storyteller. Um, you know, Jamel Shabazz is a great, um, like, analyzer well that sounds like a dry word no, but he's sort a legend. of like yeah, he's a legend. like a he's really like he reflects really deeply on his work um and like i guess Danny actually Danny Hastings actually is like really he's really entertaining in his storytelling you know sure. <laughs> because especially you know like if you have not heard Danny tell the story of his Wu-Tang shoot like it is like do the Googles like find that story read it in the book it is so damn entertaining it's it's fantastic and I've tried to like retell the story in some interviews here and there and I was actually telling Danny the other day I was like oh I just can't tell it like you at all like I've tried to <laughs> I've tried to retell it but um no he's got like sound effects like Wu-Tang <laughs> Like when he, he tells, tells it. he tells it great, and the funny yes. and, the, and the best part of it is, it, the ultimate picture only has six members in it. Yes, like it's like, and you never need, you don't need it. Like it looks like a great Wu Tang photo, but it's, it's only six photos. I yes, well, I you know, this is a very like suspicious journalist kind of thing, but I'm like, how do we know right, that, that that it's Wu Tang? It could be anyone. <laughs> 
And Danny's like, no, no, I'm telling you. I'm like, Danny, it's very convenient. No, but <laughs> I'm like, how do we know? I'm like, I never you know. Yeah. I never thought of that until it you just be, said it. I, you know, I took it for face it, value that it was at least six of them. It could be, you know, it could be like ODB's grandma in there. It could be, you know, it could be JoJo from the That's bodega. Hilarious. Like, we don't know. Danny, said, <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing a wrench into Danny's story. Right, no, said, but like, but but he's a he. That story is is legendary, and he, I could listen to him tell it all day. He tells another. In matter of fact, this was not a part of the panel at the Kennedy Center. He was actually in line talking to. Um, he was in line, just, you know, talking to um, people that participated, and, like just went to attendance. He was signing books and was in line, and he tells he was telling in line. Uh, a big pun story about like a big uh. pun guy. and it was just and we're, and we're sitting there because the, obviously there are so many photographers and such great storytellers and uh, but but the da- even the Danny big pun just like talking about big pun's personality was just you could be I, I'm with you you could listen to Danny Hastings talk about that stuff forever it's just yeah. it's a great thing let me yeah let me ask you this and in, in, uh, we'll 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 end on this note because. I do want everyone that's listening to go out, you know, get the book wherever books are available. If they, if you know, you're privileged enough to be one of the places that Contact High kind of tours your city and does a release, it's well, well worth going. What is the future in regards to just, you know, you've worked so hard to get to this point. The book is out. It's 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 doing amazing things. What does the future look like as you go through go into 2019? Is there kind of a plan to even do more with Contact High? Yeah, well, so we have, you know, I mentioned that we have the exhibition opening in April. Um, That is going to be a really, you know, big, fun, museum-level survey uh, of the book, of the photographers. Um, That'll be up for four months in L.A. And then, you know, and then we'll we'll hopefully travel it to as many cities as we can after that. Um, we're also working on turning Contact High into a television series. Um, I can't, you know, say too much sure. about it, but hopefully in the next, um, you know, I'll have some news to share soon. So we are um, working on that, um, and I'll probably do a special collector's edition of the book, um, timed with the with the exhibit. So we'll I'll probably collaborate with some of the photographers to do. Um, like a special collector's edition with a print um, and a special like box that you know it'll come in um, so yeah just really trying to like you know move move everything to the next level so well we wish you the very very best of luck so excited about the book it's amazing so excited about the project ladies and gentlemen you are listening to Vicki Toback she is the creator of Contact High a visual history of hip hop please get it everywhere and best of luck to you vicky thank you thanks thanks for having me on that was fun thanks so much ladies and gentlemen that concludes today's episode of the cheats movement on wrir thank you so much for rocking with us man we got to thank jason roop we got to thank vicky toback please follow them make sure you pick up a copy of contact high it's an amazing book and as always thank you so much for rocking with us until next time we see it